Welcome to the 85th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today, we are talking about moving to Los Angeles. This is meant to be our guide for people who have decided they are going to make the leap. They're moving to LA. What do we need to do? We're going to go through step-by-step, figure out exactly how to find an apartment, how to make friends, how to get rich and famous. In that exact order, it's going to be the most important episode of your life if you were thinking about moving to Los Angeles or if you just recently moved. Yeah, Matt will give you the step-by-step and I'll just kind of give you my negative opinions about everything. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll also answer a listener question, which we got based on our commercial episode, which hopefully you guys have listened to because Matt and I really like that episode, but we don't know if you guys like it. So listen to it. Um, and let us know. I actually got some really solid feedback from it. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I think Twitter, I got a couple texts and this email. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for listening, guys. We were a little nervous that it was too dry. And it probably is for plenty of people. But if you care about making commercials, you know, I think it was probably pretty helpful. Yeah. So. Okay, cool. So before we get into that, we are going to find out what Matt has been working on lately. Yeah, buddy. Um, so a bunch of crazy stuff has been happening for me. Kind of all of the previous stuff has finally settled down. Right. Uh, and my wife who wrote a movie a while ago, she's starring, she wrote it and is directing it. I'm producing it. Um, we went and shot, uh, the first little chunk of it this weekend. Um, so it takes place up in San Francisco over Halloween weekend and, we were aiming to shoot the whole thing during that time, but casting, as you can imagine, is a tricky thing. So we didn't have all of the pieces lined up yet. So we said, okay, well, we're going to run up. We're going to grab the pieces that we need with a skeleton crew and uh, just shoot it. And so, yeah, we just finished um, the first two days of photography on it. And did you go up to San Francisco this past weekend, like for a specific reason? Couldn't you have just waited until your whole cast was lined up? Uh, it is uh, for, it takes, the, the movie takes place over Halloween weekend. And so we specifically were shooting pieces that needed giant crowd scenes. So this is stuff where you've got Halloween decorations all over the place and people are dressed up in costume on the street. It's the sort of stuff that even with a fully funded feature would be so expensive that it would kind of be out of our price range. So we decided to lean into the gorilla-ness of the way that you have to shoot this footage. We grabbed our DP, we borrowed an Amira, rented some great lenses, grabbed permits and security, and that was it, literally, you know. Yeah, and for the non-tech savvy, an Amira is a camera, a type of Alexa. Sure, yeah, it's a type of, it's the most uh, dock running gun of the Alexas, which is, you know, kind of the premier um, cinema camera, basically. So um, the important thing is it does really great in low light. And we got some Cook S4s, which also um, were really great in low light. So even though we weren't lighting anything, the amb- the level of ambient light and interesting light in, the, in San Francisco during Halloween was incredible. So we shot Polk Street, we shot Oakland, we shot Berkeley, we shot uh, the Castro. And did you bring even like a light panel or anything? No lights at all? No lights at all. Yeah, a light panel, you know, we could have, we thought about it and we had like bounce cards and we had some stuff, but I knew that uh, transpo was going to be an issue. Everything about it like was built to be kind of a lean, mean system. So it was the five of us plus security in my RAV4 
with the camera and all of the gear and stuff like that. So um, five of you is you, myself, producer, producer Chrissy, uh, uh, actress slash director. Right. Uh, uh, Clint, producer, B, producer, Bobby, DP. And no sound person? No sound person because it was all MOS. You didn't roll any sound? We, we laughed Chrissy with uh, a onboard Tascam lav. Mm-hmm. So we did have like ambient efforts and things like that, but there was no dialogue to be had. So, uh, and it's all crowd stuff. So like syncing wouldn't even really be an, an issue or a problem. So we just um, did it that way. Right. Yeah. I, my thing is I always, always, always like to record sound because sometimes you're in an edit and you're like, I just wish there was something here besides the music. And even if it's just a a hint at what the crowds would sound like. We also had an onboard mic. So we've got an actor lab and we have the onboard mic. So we didn't have a person operating sound, basically. Right, right. Yeah, nine times out of 10, you don't use it, but it's just, I don't know, for some reason, it's I nice feel enough, like I've sure. saved myself from sound so many times. Right, but well, but if you're if you're doing your head count there, that's five people in a RAV4, which is, you know, a small to medium-sized SUV plus your lenses, tripod, Right, uh, well, that camera. type of crew, the producers need to be doing crew work also. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, I also, this is my unpaid endorsement, but I um, bought an Apple box. Oh, cool. Just one Apple box. It's a real delight to have a one. A full Apple box. I bought a full, yeah. And so, for those that I'm sure everyone knows, but it's this is not a box made by Apple. It is a wooden box that's like one of the primary tools we use in film production. Yeah, it's your. it's a stool and a seat and also props things up, and also you can put your camera on it. You can stand on it if you need to be taller. It's There's a ladder. three yeah. configurations. Do you have names for these configurations? Uh, what are they? There? It's a, what is it? It's Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, right? Yeah, those are my favorite names. So Los Angeles is the flattest version, Chicago is the medium version, and New York is the tallest version. Right? Yeah, to, right, as a, to correspond to building heights in those cities. Right, right. But yeah, so uh, it was great. And I think the the big takeaway, you know, you can't shoot a whole movie this way for sure. But uh, I think embracing the skeleton nature of the way that we had to shoot it and leaning into that and putting everybody in one car and getting all the gear to fit. And like I was running DIT, you know, it's run and gun, but it was a blast. It was so much fun. And, and is it mostly handheld? It's all, it's 100%. Well, I, they, we did some kind of static uh, environmental shots, but all of the crowd work was handheld for sure. And so what's, I've always wondered about that. Like, can I just go um, to a festival, to Coachella and Mm -hmm. shoot a movie? Can I go to the Grove and shoot a movie? Can I go to Times Square in Manhattan and shoot a movie? Yeah. So uh, there, there there's specific rules for each location. The question is, is it a um, private space or not? Right. So we were always shooting in public space. Every bar or area that we had um, that was privately owned we always had permission in advance so we'd call the head again shooting outside town outside of los angeles people were very happy to sign releases for both their exterior and their likeness but so like shooting at the grove you get kicked out immediately the grove is a fancy um, mall here in los angeles but because it's private property they have their own security systems and it's heavily monitored and all heavily trademarked so you you get kicked out as soon as you pull a, a real looking camera out you are gone um, but we had, uh, everything was permitted. So we weren't ever worried about that. 
Um, and frankly, the cops were out and like had so many other things to worry about besides a person with a camera that like the only time we ever talked to a cop was when they were like, oh, hey, like, how's it going? What are you guys shooting? Right. Because they know it a lot of like if you go to the Grove and you even pull out a 5D, they will kick you out. Yeah, they know what it looks like. Yeah. Um, where else is? Oh, well, so do you remember like years ago, someone made a movie at Disney World? Sure. Yeah. Like a horror it? film. It was called uh, In the World of Tomorrow or something like that. Yeah, something like that, where this guy, the director, was also, I think, one of the actors, and his, he got his whole cast, like, mm-hmm. annual like passports, and he shot it on really small cameras, and he made this whole horror film that or maybe takes place at Epcot. or No, no, it's at Disneyland proper. Yeah. Disney World, right? Disneyland. Um, Regardless, a Disney property. But Disney was obviously not happy about it, but it did the festival circuit, and yep. it got the guy a lot of... Notoriety. It wasn't yeah. Sean Baker, right? I don't remember. Yeah. I don't think so, though. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess probably people would have mentioned that. Yeah. Well, anyway, so cool. Anything yeah. else? I mean, you know, again, just go shoot it. You know, it cost us a little bit of money, but honestly, most of that was food and lenses. We got a security guard because we kind of needed one for, for this case. Um, and I'm really glad we had it, actually, because uh, we, on Saturday night... We started shooting in daylight kind of before we just had the security guard for uh, the night shooting. And so I was surprised that there were so many people there so early. So we decided, oh, okay, let's go ahead and start shooting a little bit sooner and immediately almost got in a fight. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like just with some drunk dudes in a Pikachu, like Pokemon costumes, <laughs> Pokemon onesies. And the scariest part actually, because they got right up, like Bobby is shooting and I'm standing with him and so is Clint. So it's three guys, you know, right? And Chrissy's across the street and we're shooting long, long lens. They get up in Bobby's face, like their nose touched the lens, basically. And Clint kind of had to push him off a little bit. And we kind of get in, in this fight, like a little altercation. And um, I realized that the dude who has gotten close to the camera already has a black eye. <laughs> right so and he's I, not afraid to fight and i just i lose my nerve immediately like i'm sure i was just white as a ghost because these dudes are like they've already been in a fight this afternoon <laughs> right. and it's like 5 30 polk street i don't know if you've ever been to polk street yeah Dude, it sucks man it was the worst it was the worst the castro was great it was perfect it was like a utopian dream of what halloween should be yeah that's when i lived in san francisco that's where we would all go castro yeah, it's a great time. But yeah, oh, you know what? I did have a takeaway from that. So that one time, I think because of the way that everything started, um, it was like a little negative, you know? And I realized my move for dealing with anyone, whether it's cops or like disgruntled homeless people or whomever, like you'll kind of, when you're in the field, like you'll have to deal with this stuff. It's always positive. It's always funny. It's always, thank you so much. See you later. You know, like I, I realized I had my whole take. I had to readjust basically like to ha ha ha. You're so funny. Um, bye. Thank you. You know, that move right. is so much better than like back off, bro. <laughs> right, right. I actually shot a commercial for Candy Crush, the video game on mm. in San Francisco. I was like the DP on it um, and we had no permits. We had four guys wearing giant Candy Crush costumes, four different candies. And we just like ran around all of San Francisco, Lombard Street and on the... Sure. You can get a grid trolley. for yeah. $100. Yeah, I, we maybe should have. We had nothing, but we were like a few law enforcement people 
came to inquire what we were doing, and when we told them, they just asked if they could take pictures with the Candy Candy Crush people because <laughs> <laughs> apparently a lot of them had played the game. People love Candy Crush. That is true. Um, so outside of LA is very easy to shoot. Yeah, it was fun. But guys, this episode is all about being in LA. Cool. So let's talk about Los Angeles. Let's paint. We're going to paint a picture. We're going to paint a portrait of the person that we are making this episode for. Okay. So this is a person who isn't going to film school or maybe they've just gotten out of film school, but the point is they don't have the safety net of a university to help introduce them to people or feed them or house them, any of that stuff. Right. So this is kind of all the fundamentals of what do you do when you first move to Los Angeles? Okay. So this is a person who uh, isn't moving out with their college friends. Uh, They're just going out solo. Right. They could have gone to film school, right? They yeah. just don't have a network in LA. Sure, sure. Well, I, what I, the point is, is that like, this is for a person starting from scratch. So if you have friends that you're moving out with, or you have family in Los Angeles, or you moved out for film school, all of this stuff is still going to be helpful and pertinent, but we're going to assume that you don't have any of that stuff to right. begin with. Or even if you went to film school, graduated, then got a job like working at the car dealership for five years, and now you're like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm moving to Fuck LA. It. Yeah. But how do one, what's the next move? What's the next move? Okay, so let's start at the very beginning. Let's talk before you even move. Uh, what can you do remotely to get your start going in Los Angeles, right? Because you know that you're going to need money saved up, right? We talked about this on a previous episode. Having a little bit of cash um, in, in your pocket before you move is going to be helpful because obviously like getting an apartment, you're going to need first and last deposit. Right. Um, you're going to need a little bit of time to find your footing. And um, I think most importantly, the more time you can buy yourself where you're working for free, the better. Right. right. So how much of a runway do you think someone needs? And by that, I mean, how many months how many should months? you be able to survive without making any money? Yeah, I think three months and you are golden. Three okay. months, you'll. I think you'll be able to you know, you're not going to be rich in three months, but I think you will have gainful employment, maybe not the ideal job that you want, but um, that's a good start. If you want to be extra safe, six months, you know? Yeah, I would say that's like probably what I would say. LA is like, it's like any industry. Like if you wanted to be like a rocket engineer, you know, you wouldn't just like go to JPL and say, hey, hire me and then be sure. a rocket engineer three months later. It takes, you have to study and you have to do this in sure. years. And like, just because there's not, film school isn't necessarily the only way to do it. You still need to put in the time to figure out the system, figure out how things work, learn how to make stuff, refine your taste, you know, learn sure. what to show people. Um, like it's not enough to be really interested in film. And so I think that in three months you're, you're just scratching you're just the surface started. of it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think six months is probably the the optimal amount of time that you should give yourself. Unless um, like you hit the ground running looking for like a, you know, restaurant serving job or mm-hmm. an assistant job or something right away. I think that the thing about six months that's important. Well, one, I think it's easy to underestimate how expensive it is to live here, right? Housing, we're in a housing crisis. That makes it really hard. Yeah. Um, food is going to be, expensive you know going out is going to be expensive and even though you don't have a ton of friends to hang out with and stuff you'll still want to have enough money to um capitalize on networking events or mixers or going to coffee with people i oftentimes will spend five dollars on a regular coffee which Mm -hmm. sounds insane 
And then you tip them. <laughs> and then you tip them. Yeah, I'll spend <laughs> six bucks on a coffee, no problem. Anyway, so all of that stuff, the point is, is that living expenses are right. are higher than you Do you need to anticipate. have a car to move to LA? I, yeah. Yeah, you should have a car. Okay. Yeah. So car, gas, parking. I, you know, it's getting easier to um, live without one. I have a couple of friends who just Uber everywhere, but they also are gainfully employed. And so I don't think you want to have the stress of um, not having a car. And also most of those entry-level jobs like being a PA, having yeah. a car is a requirement. I work so with this have one super- before you move out here. I think. Yeah, I work with a script supervisor who Ubers everywhere, and we just shot in Chatsworth. And I was like, "Isn't it so expensive to Uber over here?" And she said, "She's like part of this program where it's like a monthly fee, and every flat Uber ride Uber. is five dollars." Yeah, flat Uber. Yeah, I've uh, never heard of it. It's cool. Yeah, I think that there's maybe a lottery element to it as well. Mm. But backtracking just a tiny bit. I think the the big thing about the six month sort of window that you're giving yourself is that the ideal situation is that you are not getting a survival job, right? Like you're not waiting tables, you're not um, driving Uber, you're you know you're which actually honestly Uber maybe is the best thing to supplement that income a little bit if you're um, you don't have any plans one day and you have a car that's right for Uber, being able to kind of extend that six months out longer would be really valuable. But my point is, is that you want to be able to give yourself time to develop relationships and um, network so that you can get the job you actually want eventually, rather than move to LA and spend a ton of money on um, an expensive apartment and, you know, being the, the manager at the Bed Bath & Beyond, which is a great job, but also not why you're here. Right. What if you're like work at Best Buy in... Uh, Milwaukee, and they are willing to transfer you to the Best Buy in Santa Monica. Yeah, that's an interesting, interesting conundrum. I, you know, I think that you really have to have a gut check with yourself, right? Because some people, I would bet, are the type that can do a little bit of part-time work, and again, like have the stability of like knowing rent is covered. And that your savings doesn't have to last quite as long. And then they're not kind of wasting their creative juices during the right. day and they go home at night and they can write. And they can write. Yeah, exactly. So you, you have to be honest with yourself about that. I, you know, I think it's definitely per person. Like some people need that stability. If you have a family, kids, anyone else, any other responsibilities, if you're just the type of person that does not enjoy being stressed out, <laughs> mm-hmm. then maybe that Best Buy job isn't that bad of an idea. If you're more like an editor and you can get a bunch of really cheap hard drives sure. or computer discounts. I mean, there's like a lot of people that work at like Melrose Mac or these sure. like kind of Hollywood-centric tech shops. Yeah, that, shout out to Melrose Mac, man. I went there just the other week. They hooked it up. They're the best. Yeah, or if you want to, are a little more interested on the like DP technical side, like working at a Panavision mm-hmm. or a camera house, if you know a lot about cameras, like you get access to free equipment, uh, things I, like that. I would call any of those like Hollywood support system jobs totally in a, they're in a different category than working at the Best Buy, I think. What about bartending? That's like a really popular mm-hmm. job when you move to LA, especially for actors. Because yeah. Yeah, sure, they sure. They tend to be a little better looking than us behind the camera folks. Right. And also it's uh, nights and weekends. And so you're not worried about it conflicting with, um, you know, auditioning and things like that. But there are the people that, you know, like uh, I have a friend that was a valet at a really fancy hotel in uh, West Hollywood and he met everyone. You know, right. it didn't necessarily 
give him a job, but it taught him how to work with celebrities, like act like, and I don't know, mm-hmm. he, he kind of learned a lot just by osmosis, you know, right, right. as I, opposed to like getting hired for something specifically. I guess what I'm getting at is that we all are going to have to have survival jobs to start with. You know, I worked at the Hollywood video, rest in peace. You know, I had internships. I'm trying to think I had, I mean, you know, I had a, a handful of like Joe jobs and like a lot of PA work early on, you know? Yeah. Um, if you're, I think if you're like young, early twenties or something, mid twenties, even like that's, and you're into production, that's like the route I would take is either like gung ho assistant or gung ho, like PA grip on like student films, you know, or you can split the difference and end up being an office PA, right? Like, Oh, you, you're not a slick agent type, you know that the mailroom isn't really the place for you. You don't want to like be cutting deals, but also you don't want to be hauling gear, you know, an office PA. It's a competitive job, but that's a great one to have. The point is that we're trying to get you to find a survival job that's going to help you in the industry. Right. right. Whether it's building out your network, meeting people, right, getting you to be creative or to see the gatekeepers, like kind of being exposed to the executives, the people that listen to pitches, the people that make stuff, shoot stuff, audition people. Right. And so the point is, is that you become conversant and understand the way that the business works, right? The expectations that people have for each other and the different positions and how to better position yourself and also to figure out what you actually want to do. Because most oftentimes people come to Los Angeles with a specific goal in mind and then that goal shifts and changes. And sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. But the more you can educate yourself about what the business actually looks and feels like and how it operates, the closer to or the more realistic those goals become. Basically. Right. And how do you find an assistant job or an internship? Great. So, um, well, before we get to ha- finding a job, actually, I want to ask you one hypothetical question. Sure. Um, because we're, I think we're all getting, a, making the point that like surrounding yourself with creative people is valuable. Say you have some friends from back home who aren't in the film industry. They all want to move in together. Do you think it's a good idea to move out with them? They all want to move to LA together. They all want to move to LA together, but one's an accountant and the other's an engineer and the other one is a janitor. Yeah, I mean, my. <laughs> and you want to be a cinematographer? Yes. I guess my short answer would be yes, I would move out with them. My longer answer is that hypothetical is like very unlikely. <laughs> sure, because fair enough. Moving to LA is like one of the hardest things anyone can do. It's like a really tough town to make friends in, to survive in, to pay for things. And it's like most of the people that I met that moved to LA, and this is something I want to talk about, especially in the neighborhoods that I was in, uh, moved here like to chase their dream. Sure. And I think those other professions, well, sure, they, you know, a lot of people have dreams in them too. Okay, well, I don't let, know let that LA modify. is the city. Maybe well. they're all music people. How about that? Oh yeah. I would definitely move in with them then. Yeah. Yeah, good parties. Yeah, be fun. <laughs> well, no, but also they, it's you go to good arts. shows. Yeah, look, you want to be with people that do stuff, that go meet people, that will drag you along with them, that w- are willing to talk to you about stuff, that are willing to act in your videos mm-hmm. that you're making in your apartment, that you can feel you know confident around. You can practice your pitches with you know, like whether they are directors or executives right. or musicians. 
or accountants that love movies. I don't sure feel like there's a ton of production accountants. Yeah, I don't feel like it matters that much. What matters is that you're with people that are going leaving the apartment and meeting other people. Sure. I mean, we some of like our best hookup like network connections that I made when I first moved to LA was we lived next to this bar um, on sun, the Sunset Strip. That with Cabo Cantina that we would just go hang out at. <laughs> just have like I didn't realize that. Yeah, and Sweetser and the long Sweetser and wait, Sunset. Cabo Cantina, it's like a, like a margarita joint. Yeah, right? but that place is gross. That's so funny. Yeah. That that's where you well, hang out. It was out. the cheapest bar around there. Um, and like you know, I had roommates, and we would meet people sure. and just hang out. I, I'll tell you what was helpful is like our one of our roommates was a girl, Alana, and um, so I feel like. We had like, because I feel like we didn't seem like weird, creepy guys because mm-hmm. we had You're like not a, like four, like yeah. nerdy, weird, sweaty. And Alana's was the creepiest of the bunch too. <laughs> uh, so we would just like get into, like if I just went by myself, I probably wouldn't get into sure. any conversations with strangers, but she's really good at it. Oh, interesting. Um, so we would meet a lot of people and, you know, hang out and find out what they're doing and work on each other's projects. I, I think the moral of this story is that uh, even if you live near a crappy bar that I wouldn't be caught dead in, you can still make friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the bartenders there, her name is Ginger Gonzaga. Uh-huh. I ended up like hiring her to act in something. And now she's like on all these TV shows. Oh, great. I mean, yeah. it's like, you know, you just got to go out and meet people. Um, but it, I think maybe we can segue this into like what neighborhoods are the filmmaker artist people in? Like, where do you move to in LA? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a really contentious one. And actually the reason that I wanted to talk about this, cause we get this question all the time, but uh, somebody had emailed me asking about that. I think that it's worth it to move here on a short term sort of lease some somewhere in one, a neighborhood you've heard of. Right, you can even like Airbnb or something. Airbnb or, yeah, that's a, that's not a bad idea. But like hang out for a little bit, get the lay of the land and then make your decision because each neighborhood has its own perks. And, you know, as you've no doubtly heard, everything is very spread out. I think it's hard to move to the neighborhood that you are going to be working in because it's very hard to predict where that's going to be. The studios are all in like the valley, like North Hollywood, except for Paramount, which is down here. You know, they're kind of all spread out all over the place. Sony's in Culver City. And then also like the odds of you working at a studio aren't super high, you know, because um, they have their own feeders and you kind of have to be in the industry for a little bit. You know, I was at Warner Brothers today and I realized I hadn't been on the Warner Brothers lot since I was an intern. Anyway, the point is, you know, if you're PAing, odds are you're going to be moving around and that it's pretty hard to predict. Are you going to be on the east side? Are you going to be on the west side where your work is? So just pick a neighborhood that you like. Well, can I, I mean, I know I'm going to get a lot of slack for this, but I'm just going to list the neighborhoods that I think are great. Uh The neighborhoods that I think are not great. And then the ones that are on the edge. Yeah. So great, I think. And obviously I'm very biased when I think Silver Lake, Los Feliz, Hollywood, Echo Park, Highland Park, West Hollywood, Beverly Hills, um, North Hollywood, North Hollywood, Burbank is okay. And Glendale, um, if you kind of are in the, the sides of them, they're both very big. They have like a little more suburban family sides and a little bit more like industry work sides. 
Um, Culver City. Culver oh. City is awesome. Uh, and then, and I personally would not go any south of Culver City or west of Culver City, personally. Um, there's a... The one place that's like on the edge that I would just include it in this list because it's super cool, but it's not that close to anything is Venice. Um, sure. I think Washington Heights actually, I think maybe is. And then Chinatown and Koreatown. But really yeah. what you're listing is relatively central locations with a high density of young-ish people. If you go into a coffee shop, there will be somebody writing a script. Right. That's that's really what you're describing, right? Right. And so you said Culver City is great. I don't like going to Culver City ever. Oh, I love it. Have oh, you been man. there recently? Yeah, dude. I'm there all the time. Like for whatever reason... That, I have meetings there once a week. That's where Sony that's, is. That's where my commercial production company is. That's where my manager company manager. is. That's where yeah. I've done post on like 10 sure. things. That's where Adaptive is. That's where yeah. Pop Sugar oh, yeah. is. That's, that's where, where Maker. Maker is. It's it's a very trendy place to have production offices. Cell phone reception sucks. <laughs> There's no parking. The food is pretty good. The and, food's really and good. And the commute is gnarly for me. Like it's really terrible. All of which they is- They have the, an In-N-Out, a Tender Greens. Sure. Yala, dude. Yala is the shit. Oh, I've never been there. Oh, man, it's the best. Anyway, the point is, guys, so this this conversation that we're having here is a perfect example of the fact that the, the odds are you are going to be driving all over town, all over the place. And some locations are going to fit your personality and your budget a little bit better than others, right? So, Orin, you threw out Beverly Hills or Beverly Hills adjacent, right? Which is kind of a standard way of saying- uh, jacking up your your rent. It's a it's quite nice. It's centrally located. Yeah, there's you the know, hills. It, there's like Coldwater Canyon and uh, right. It, yeah, all of these cities have kind of like all you got to do is look at what the rent is, and you know if it's sure. ten thousand dollars a month, it's a slightly nicer area than if it's one thousand dollars a month. But Beverly Hills will have both of those prices in right. it. I'm gonna put my money on North Hollywood because it's still affordable. It's a ton of young people. It's close to a lot of the studios and uh, a lot of freeways, so you can get around a lot. And most importantly, you can um, still afford it. But there's cool stuff. Yeah, but I so, wouldn't really venture too far north of North Hollywood. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. I, I'll tell you the tempting places that I would avoid. Mm. Number one, this is also on the edge, but Sherman Oaks, I feel like, is it's really affordable. A lot of people move there, but there isn't like much going on there, and there's a lot of like families and stuff. And by families, I'm kind of using families as like a generalization of like suburban people that are, you know, have stable jobs and are worried about where their kids are going to school much more so than like networking for yeah for the, produ- film work. This, this list that Oren's going li- to list out, you're going to be like, wait a minute, my uncle who is like an executive producer on this show lives in Studio City. That's crazy. That He has lived there his whole life. He loves it. Right. Oren's point is that like he's not going out to the bars to meet your weird yeah. friends. I mean, the very, the most perfect example of what you just said is Malibu. Sure. Um, it's like so insanely far from everything, but every giant cele- A-list celebrity lives there. You right, know? right. So sure, you might see celebrities, but you won't meet people to work with there. Santa Monica, I just think the bang for the buck, it's kind of out of the way unless you're in post-production, which a lot of the post houses are are on the west side there. But it's really expensive. It's really nice. Not just housing, but food, restaurants, everything. It's like a kind of a fancy part of town. And I always think of it as more like the lawyer, doctor, business person part of town. Yeah. Even though there's a lot of 
offices there, film offices. And then the no-no list for me is like Marina del Rey, um, Redondo Beach. And I mean, you might as well just stay in Milwaukee if you're deciding to move to Orange County. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll double down on that. I, you know, I, we can both think of exceptions to that rule every single time. But really what we're trying to do is make it easier on you to run into people, right? So like... Yeah, by or, the way, I, sorry, I forgot yeah. to mention that downtown LA is awesome too. Yeah, downtown is awesome too. Again, super expensive all of a sudden. But also uh, if you are thinking of moving to LA and are considering a neighborhood and you want to email us, what do you think of this neighborhood? I I will try to respond to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think that that's the short list though. But also, honestly, you know, you're going to move somewhere and then kind of want to change it up a little bit. And I know that sounds daunting, but you know, it's worth it to be like, Oh, I just realized all my friends are now in Highland park and, um, I would get out more and have more fun if I lived there instead. Yeah. Well, my friend who just bought a house and had a baby and got married, moved from Highland park to, or from Eagle rock to, um, Woodland Hills, Mm -hmm. which is the equivalent of, she basically said she's now next to nobody. She has no friends and like... Yeah, she, but she, but you she's, said she has a kid. Yeah, and she's right, already so kind like, of established in work. Yeah, yeah. Woodland Hills is a beautiful place. It's like close to where Will Smith lives, but no one is, you know, right. looking to hire PAs or assistants or uh, cameramen over there, you know? Right, right. Yeah, and again, once you're established, you can live wherever the heck you want. You yeah. know, you realize, oh, it is important to me to be near the ocean. You know, all of the places you described, Oren are 30 minutes minimum, probably an hour right. from the ocean. Right. Uh, weird question. Is there a time of the year you think that's best to move to oh, LA? Oh, that's interesting. Well, I always say that the summer is LA's native season. Like when it's hot out, and you know, we're developing more and more of a sidewalk culture. You know, most of these neighborhoods are relatively walkable despite what you've heard. Um, so like hanging out and like just running into people and that sidewalkiness really tends to flourish in the summer. So I think that's great. Um, but it'll be super hot. I, think I would say not the rainy season, which is really like February, March, you know, somewhere in there feels the rainiest to me. Yeah. We'll get so, some, so some inconsistent here. Yeah. My only piece of advice there is unless you're coming from like a cold weather place and you are, would just like to get out of the cold, I wouldn't come here like between Thanksgiving and m- the middle of January because that's when this town is really asleep business-wise, yeah, like yeah, industry-wise. Business yeah, that's true. People are traveling a ton. They're not making a ton of deals. They're winding down the things that they've already started. If so you're trying to set up meetings, everyone will be like, oh, I'm out of town. Yeah, My yeah. family's here, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Palm Springs, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right. really. Well, and then also like Sundance is in January. So right, that's the middle of January. Yeah. So yeah, I would say probably like February, March, April, May. That seems like a really great time to kind of move out and get settled. Um, so, okay, so say so you, you live in to LA. say you live in Milwaukee though, you want to find an apartment. Things to look out for if it looks too good to be true, it's a scam, right? We talked about this before, but oh, yeah. like um, there are a decent number of scammers out there trying to get you to um, give them money in advance of seeing the apartment. Right. So that's why maybe Airbnb being for a month while you can kind of look around and really get the feel for things. That's probably worthwhile. For sure. 
Well, so let's, you know, let's say you just moved to LA and you skipped our podcast up until this part. What's, uh, what, what's the next move? Okay, so. And are, is this, are we talking to basically directors? I think we're talking to people who want, whose aspirations are above the line ultimately. So people who want to be DPs, producers, agents, directors. That's basically it. And why is it called above the line? I don't know why it is called above the line. Oh, I do. Why? Um, because. <laughs> and, and why is it called above the line, Oren? Um, it's called above the line because on a movie poster, the credits basically that go in the front of a movie, or, or now sometimes they call them main on end titles, they come at the end of the movie, but they're before the rolling credits. Um, so any, so that's where kind of the line is drawn. Like, are you on the movie poster? You're above mm-hmm. the line. Or if you're underneath that, you're below the line. Usually the first credit of the below the line crew is the assistant director. Um, above the line, yeah, it's everyone, all the stars, the main stars, mm-hmm. yeah, directors, producers, costume designers. There's like, it depends on the movie. Sometimes like a music supervisor will mm-hmm. be above the line because right, right. it's a really music-centric they're, movie. Right. And they're a superstar. Um, cool. So let's say here we are. I've arrived. I don't have any roommates or friends. What do I do besides go drink at the Cabo Cantina, which I don't recommend doing? Yeah, I, um, it's not that bad. I mean, I haven't been there in many years, but <laughs> I, I encourage you to go. Uh, you know where I would go drinking, actually? Uh, birds. Oh, yeah. Birds on well, Franklin. So, so I think there is kind of um, a delineation to be made between there's the people that want to go make cool sci-fi action drama stuff. Sure. And then there's the comedy people. Sure. That's true. And I think uh, the comedy people have a really easy way into the LA comedy community. Sure. And that is through the comedy schools. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got your second cities, your UCBs, your groundlings. Right. Right. Where do the groundlings drink? Improv Olympics. Improv Olympics. Yeah, to a lesser extent. I mean, look, between you and me, unless you want to be, if you don't want to be an actor, I just kind of think you should just go for UCB at this point in time. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we've talked about this with the Jordan Morris episode. You know, each school is different for each person. Um, But the point is, is that they are very good at fostering community. And so it's a kind of, it's a way to jump into a pre-existing community, oftentimes of people who have just moved here or at least have a shared interest and they're out late at night, you know, so you can hang. I was was joking about birds. I lived around the corner from birds. They had a late night happy hour and like it's literally next door to UCB. So it was a great, super fun scene. I made a ton of friends. I made met a lot of people at a lot of birthday parties at birds, you know, and, and there's always because of the school, there's an influx of new people all the time. Yeah, so go to a show, go to a bunch of shows, take a class, meet some people in that class, make some videos. Easy. Easy. Get famous. Get famous. I mean, it it kind of is, in a sense, that straightforward, though. You know, just I mean, it takes months to... Sure, years. Yeah, to kind of get friends. There's a weird thing in L.A., it's like kind of true, but kind of not true, but when you're trying to make new friends... Sometimes there's a little bit of like a, like, why should I, like, what am I going to get out of this friendship mm. type of mentality? It, uh, it because is, there's a lot of ambitious career driven right. people here. It's easy to admire and want to be around successful people, right? That's a captivating, charismatic thing, right? 
And so if you are just starting out, that can be intimidating, right? But also that's why there are one-on-one classes at those places. That's why there's screenwriting one-on-one. You can take that, you know, at Santa Monica, you can take that. UCLA extension classes are great for that. And though, yeah, those are both really great ways to kind of just be in a classroom environment. Maybe that's where you sort of uh, flourish, basically. The other thing you should do, which uh, I think we've talked about, we've endorsed on the podcast before, is the creative screenwriting um, film screenings. Mm-hmm. Uh, the creative screenwriting magazine of your, this guy Jeff Goldsmith, if you Google his name, and Jeff Goldsmith's uh, film screenings. He sets up these film screenings with the directors, writers, creators. They're free and they're like every week and they're like all the newest movies. And so you can go see Thor and they'll have like the visual effects supervisor there talking about how they Oftentimes it's a screenwriter, right? Yeah, screenwriter. Screenwriters is like their main focus, but there's a lot of kind of programs and you can just go see free movies and hear how they were made and you'll be with all people that care about that stuff. And you can even ask them questions. Yeah, and at a certain point you, you know, you're first in line and so is this, you see the same people over and over again. Then you end up with film buddies. Yeah. Um, oh, and I, then I think um, also looking at alumni associations, if you were outside of Los Angeles, if you didn't go to school in LA, odds are you have a pretty cool alumni association, especially if you went to uh, film school. But oftentimes you don't have to be an alumnus of the film school to go to that, the, you know, X in entertainment group. Right. If you went to Columbia College Chicago, by the way, contact Sarah Schroeder. She's sure. a good friend of mine. David Greenman, if you went to Syracuse. And tell them you know us and they will, uh, they'll hook you up. I mean, Sarah Schroeder literally has gotten so many people I know their first jobs in Hollywood. Sure. Same with David. Yeah. So, so I bet you have your own alumni group and Facebook can help you with that stuff as well. Right. So then that there's that whole aspect of things that didn't exist when we both moved to LA, right. but there is the Facebook of it all, Instagram, and just like, hey, anyone know about good internships, assistant work? Anyone need me to work on their movie for free? I've told this story a million times on the podcast, but when I first moved to LA, I just went on Craigslist and told people I would work for free. And I, I happened to own some lights and I told them I would bring my lights for free too. And how many people, this is back before people were really crewing up through the internet even, how often would you say that you were, that someone reached out to you? Like how many how, times like how, did I apply quick, for a job? How quickly did you get someone to respond? Hey, I'd love for you to work for free. Bring your stuff. I mean, and every job I applied for, I pretty much got. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, free work. And uh, honestly, it was maybe a month of free work before I started getting paid. And right. I was working like every single day. Right. I mean, it was labor. I was working on bad movies for bad people and doing a ton of hard sure. manual labor. But I was learning like an insane amount of, inf- of knowledge while I was doing it. And it's pretty fun. Right. And you're mm-hmm. making friends. Right. right. And, and so and uh, speaking of that, there's like AFI and USC film schools are both in L.A. and UCLA, too, though, a smaller program. Um, but if you can crew on those movies too, mm-hmm. uh, that's, you'll meet, you really will meet like the future wave of like, uh, filmmakers in LA. And people who will help you get your next job, you know, like th- those networks working for them for free, very quickly you start, you know, leveling up. Right. And there I'm talking about crew work, basically mm-hmm. being on set and doing production stuff, Which not is- necessarily reading scripts and giving your opinions. Right. Cr- correct. Correct. But 
that is worth doing even if you want to be a screenwriter because maybe you don't want to be a screenwriter. Maybe you actually love ADing, um, but also uh, understanding the way that the production works um, will help you be a better executive screenwriter, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Now, what if you've made a bunch of videos and you move to LA? Do you do, you do anything with those? Uh, you know, if they are online and they have done well, right? Like if, if they've been seen, and when I say done well, I mean north of 10,000 views, basically, as a kind of a bare minimum. If they've gone mildly viral in some way, then I think it's worth it to show them around. You know, and I think you kind of lead with that. You can say like, oh, you know, I have a video that went kind of viral. Um, it got X number of views if you want to check it out, right? I think it's okay to bring that stuff up. And when do you get your agent and manager? When do you get, uh, about 10 years later. <laughs> That's about right. I'm trying to think. I got my, yeah, about 10 years after I moved to LA. So that counting film school. Right. So, yeah. So that's not the number one thing on the agenda. Just Don't so worry about it. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I mean, you can work for years without either an agent, manager, or lawyer taking their percentages from you. And that's A-okay. Oh, can I, something sure. else that is really fun to do that I did, granted this was in the 90s, so it might be a little different now, but you can sign up to be an extra on big film and movie sets and TV sure. sets. Uh, there's a company called Central Casting. I'm pretty sure they're still around mm -hmm. and they're the biggest extras casting agency. And all you have to do, you can sign up for free and they'll take your picture and they'll give you some, it, back in my day it was a phone number. I don't know how you get booked now, but... Basically, if they need a big crowd scene on like Iron Man, you can go be in Iron Man and learn how Iron Man is shot, yeah. you know, like from being there and you get free food. You actually get paid. Not a lot of money. It's like minimum wage, but it's fun. You can bring your homework if you're sure, you know. Yeah, you've got a lot of downtime. Whatever. Like make sure you've got fully charged cell phone mm -hmm. uh, and hang out. I, yeah, I think that's a great idea. That's a good thing to do early on, especially... Because those first few weeks, you're going to have more free time than you know what to do with. Yeah, you know? and you'll meet a lot of cool people, and you'll meet a bunch of the weirdest people you've ever the met. The weirdest people. You'll be like, ah, I don't want to try meth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. But it's a great, great LA experience. And then, you know, we didn't talk about uh, reaching out to those coffees, right? Like oh, right. meeting up with people. So your mom has definitely been like, oh, you definitely have to talk to my cousin's best friend when you move to Los Angeles. Do it. Yeah. It, it sounds, you know, you roll your eyes at it. It sounds lame. It sounds like it's not going to do anything or be helpful in any way. But uh, this town runs on apprenticeships and understanding of that. And also, and so, oh, you know, Mike, you know, I just worked with Mike. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so don't be disappointed if it takes a little bit of time and there's a little bit of a run around. Everyone's very busy. And I think the older and more successful you get, the more dubious you are of these sorts of coffees but also have fun talk to these people be open you know they're purely just connections just to kind of get to know people and learn a little bit more about the city and what you should be doing basically yeah uh, i think i've talked about this before but my mom knew one person in la when i moved back here for film and she set up a she you know reached out to him i think his name is scott spiegel and he was the head of production in a, a band apart which was quentin tarantino's sure production company and they were making like the coolest commercials and music videos at the time and i was fully 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 not qualified to meet with this guy i'd made like some youtube videos 
um, that I thought were really funny. And I, but he agreed to meet with me as a favor to my mom. And I went to his office and I, he looked at my videos and he's like, yeah, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to direct commercials. Um, which, you know, yeah. every meeting I had, I would tell them I wanted to do whatever they were, <laughs> sure. had the power to, right. to enable me to do. And he's like, okay, well, let me show you a different reel I got today. <laughs> and he uh-huh. showed me this reel. This guy had this like amazingly beautiful Toyota commercial where it's raining and like a hundred mm-hmm. extras in this. He's like, he's like, this is what you're up against. So it's not that you're stuff. Uh, and by the way, we, we didn't pick this guy. We rejected him. <laughs> um, <laughs> but just so you know, like. For you to get into this world, your stuff needs to look super slick. It needs to look like this a is what glossy TV yeah. commercial. Yeah. And that's basically all I remember from that meeting. But I was like, oh. What a lesson. Yeah. I mean, it's a good, I mean, it's obvious, but do you watch This Is Us? <laughs> no, I need to. I know everybody loves it. So there's this uh, actress, Christy, Christy Metz, I think is her name. Oh, I think we talked about this. She had like a dollar left in her. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think in real know. life, but yeah. it, on the show, she she's a uh, you know she's kind of overweight, and she is trying to resurrect her singing career, and she goes to this audition where it's like all these like supermodely looking girls waiting mm-hmm. to sing, and she leaves it, and then her family convinces her to go back, and the whole the whole episode arc is about her going to sing, and she goes in and she sings the song, she like begs him to give her an audition, the director or whatever, and he's like, fine, come in. And she sings the song and she sings like three bars of the song. And he's like, okay, thanks. I think I've heard enough. Oh, and by the way, her singing is like beautiful, like mm-hmm. amazing, right? right? Right. And she starts walking out and then she turns around. She's like, uh, you know what? I'm not leaving. You better, I want to finish singing this whole song. Sure. Like, I'm amazing. Like, you're the only reason you're told me to stop is because you don't like the way I look. You think I'm too big or something. And then the director like calls up like one of the other girls that's in there he's like christine can you come can you sing the first three bars of this and he has her sing this song and it like blows <laughs> the her out of the water right the right christy metz character and he's like you see her she's the backup singer because she's not good enough to be the lead singer yeah, okay yeah. you have some potential but you're sure. just nowhere near Call what me we later. need yeah. and she was like that was like the most exciting thing for her to hear because she's like oh it's not you're not dismissing me because of what i look like mm-hmm. You're dismissing me because my talent isn't where it needs to be yet. And it, that kind of gave her the inspiration to, to care. So anyway, that was kind of like what that meeting is. And a, a lot of your first few years in L.A. is being bitter that people aren't like taking you seriously and then realizing that you just need to like level up and up your game. And, yeah. And that you need to find the people that do take you seriously and work with them and to, to move up together. So I don't know. We should probably wrap this up. I feel like we've given no good information yet. Oh man, this is all good information. I mean, I feel like we've given the like you day one in LA information, but sure, not, sure. not year one. I think that's, I think day one is so much easier or clearer than year one, right? Year one is rinse and repeat and then follow up and work hard and refine what it is you want to do. Right. Like basically once you set up that network, it's going to continue to grow. It's going to change. You're going to lose track of people. You're going to really like people. And then maybe, you know, they're going to get busy. It's all, all of that stuff. That's, it's just live your life and just work hard. And then, and then in one year, you know, um, you can look back and be like, oh, look, I, you know, I worked on 16 movies and like one of them's good, you know, (laughs) Uh, well done. But, you know, like I, I think getting that foundation 
is the thing that kind of helps give you that leg up so that you can spend the most time working on things you want to be working on. And when I say working on things you want to be working on, I mean like in movies and TV and digital rather than uh, waiting tables. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm not well, saying that those movies are going to be good. Right. That's my important caveat. But also who cares? You know, like making movies is fun. As opposed to what some other podcasts will tell you. Um, cool. So I think that this kind of gives you a really good foundation for what uh, you need to get ready in Los Angeles. And I think, uh, Oren, you made the point, like, let's have people write in with other questions. But the, the whole reason, the whole goal that you should really have for moving here is that this is a city where people are all here to create together. Or, and you made the point like, oh yeah, hang out with uh, your friends who, who are musicians or the accountant for, you know, uh, MasterChef Junior. What up, Jesse? Um, <laughs> you know, like all of those jobs uh, out there, they're all here to support the ultimate goal of making things together. And that's a community and a vibe that's hard to find elsewhere. You can be brilliant and write your incredible screenplay and build a community around yourself, that's awesome. I applaud it. You know, like we can't all be Richard Linkletter. So if you're not, come here, vibe off of people, make things together. We are constantly around people who are succeeding and failing and trying to, and experimenting all at once. And it's all the fabric of this city. And that's, that's the point. That's what you want to be around. And that's why it's advantageous to be here beyond just there being opportunity to work in the film industry. Amen, brother. Um, but yes, if you have any more specific questions about moving to LA, please email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. I just want to plug this. I just, just wanted to give our email address now because usually it's at the end and I feel like we lose a lot of people. Yeah, and if you specifically, if you have a follow-up question, you want to leave a voicemail, we love the voicemails, give us a ring at 2626-SHOOT-1. Right. Um, but before we go, I wanted to answer this listener question, which is kind of related to what we were just talking about. Uh, Sarah Beamji writes in, Hi, Orin and Matt. Great episode on commercials. I learned so much about the commercial production process. You spelled it out so clearly. One thing that is still a mystery, however, is how one initially gets on a production company's roster of directors. It seems you have to have already directed a commercial to get your first commercial. How does one land their first commercial? Thanks, Sarah she says, just a fan, which I guess is, uh, could be the name for our fans. Oh, just a fan? Yeah. I don't know. More than just a fan to me. <laughs> just fan it. <laughs> um, anyway, so, so yeah. So I How think. How get that first commercial? You know, I, we, I think we've kind of glossed over this on the podcast before, but uh, the answer is a little bit annoying, but usually it's you have to shoot spec commercials, mm-hmm. right? You have to write a commercial, shoot it, edit it, make it look like a real commercial and show it to people. And then do that a couple more times. Yeah. And say, yeah. here's my commercial reel. And you can, you can try to make it a commercial for something real, like a Little Caesars or a Geico or whatever. But if you do that, it has to really feel like a Little Caesars or a Geico or a Nike commercial. Right. It can't be off brand or off message from that stuff. You can't be like, wouldn't it be cool if Nike, rather than talking about just do it and sports what if we did the mom you know race walking version of the nike commercial that's not on brand that's right. not what they're looking which for. by the way nike might do that but leave them let yeah. them go off leave brand. that to wyden kennedy <laughs> yeah like if you want to just you, you want to show people that 
you have good taste. By the way, it has to be 30 seconds. There's no other option. You want to show that you can tell a story in 30 seconds. You want to show that you can cast, that you can get performances, that you understand pacing, music, sound, dialogue, uh, how a commercial is about selling something. You understand brands. Uh, so just shoot spec commercials, you know? Yeah, that, so that's one way to do it. And the good news there is that you can do that in one day. You can yeah. do a cool, great spec commercial. You can have your friends come help you out and you can rent uh, gear for the weekend for a single day worth of cost and make it happen. So it's attainable, which is the nice way, that's the nice part of being interested in commercials. The other way you can do it, and I think that's this is the way that uh, I did, and I think, Warren, you did it as well, is kind of laterally, we were doing sketches, we were doing internet content, those internet companies needed branded content. We shot that stuff with clients, which was a big break and unto itself. Then we cut those down into 30 second spots and then used that as a proof of concept to prove that we could do commercial work. Yeah, that's kind of the the long way, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess the, yeah. And, and that is like a different way of making spec work is trying to take stuff mm-hmm. you've already shot for other clients or in other ways and... Edit in. Right. Sometimes I'm like watching these great commercials that are just like kind of doc style things, and I'm like, why am I, I just not just put a Nike driving to San Francisco yeah. and filming someone sure. walking around a parade and then making it a commercial sure. for my GPS track, find your friend's iPhone app or whatever, right. you know? And to that end, maybe you've got a student film that you could recut into a commercial, or maybe I mean Michael Bay famously he came out of Art Center, uh, he was the only dude at the time doing commercials as his student projects. So oh, really? you don't you don't have to make, you know, a black and white um, French movie drama. Film. Yeah, exactly. Or a Steven Spielberg ripoff, which is the more likely version. Right. Of or a Wes Anderson ripoff. Yeah, sure. <laughs> which I saw many of in my day. Shout out to film school. What's up? Yeah, and then just uh, if it was me, I would just post. I still do this. I put stuff on Facebook, but I do have a couple commercials I shot recently that I didn't post anywhere because I was like, I don't know if these are my best. Yeah. So. Yeah, you kind of need to really lead with the strongest stuff because competition is so fierce. You know, the other thing, Sarah, that you can do is um, reach out to smaller companies um, that maybe are doing homegrown sort of advertising. Maybe they've got a YouTube channel. If they're in your hometown, that's ideal. But there are probably a lot of small businesses that would love a free commercial or maybe would even pay a little bit of money for you and your DSLR and your friends to go out and shoot a commercial. That's the other way to get into it. Yeah. And by the way, you have to talk to everyone you know about how you make commercials. Not how you want to make commercials, but how you make commercials. Because to get those, like, I'm, I've told this a million times, but like my first commercial that I shot was like for my aunt's AED company. Uh, you know, these defibrillators. It was just like for her website. Like she knew that I shot commercials because I'd always talk about making videos, you know? Um, so if you, it's not exactly self-promotion as much as making people aware of what you do and that you want to do more of it. Uh, you know, that's how you get into the conversations about it. Cool. Well, hopefully that answers your question, Sarah. And now we're going to get a couple quick unpaid endorsements. Unpaid endorsements. Uh, so here's two real straightforward unpaid endorsements. One is buying an Apple box. You can get them online. They're $37. I even put a little bit of stain on mine so that I can keep it in my house and it looks nice. Write your name on it. 
Uh-huh. Well, so mine is uh, Matthew's brand. So I just <laughs> added an apostrophe and I'm good to go. Um, but, you know, it's a simple film tool that you use constantly. Um, and you can have it at your home and it's not a ton of money. I didn't ever go through that like gear buying phase that I think a lot of people do. And Oren, I think you've got a garage yeah. full of flags. I have a full and, family of Apple boxes, yeah, including four full ones. Nice. I almost borrowed them from you, but I was like, it's time for me to get my own. They're awesome. They're and awesome. by the way, just so people know, you cannot carry anything in these Apple boxes. They're sealed from the outside. Sure, that's true. Though technically you can get, for kind of a lot of cash, uh, a nesting Apple box set that's oh, a yeah. full and then has two pancakes, a quarter and a half in it. They're, they're not standard sizes. I feel like Kind of the point of an Apple box is that they're all uniformly the same size and dimension so that a half, two mm -hmm. halves equals a whole, two quarters equals a half, and two pancakes equals a quarter. Yeah. I guess do the pancakes don't really equal. Don't build your own Apple box. Just, just go buy to bahphotovideo.com or Studio Depot or one yeah. of the places that sells grip equipment. Yeah, Matthew's Apple boxes. They're great. Um, and then also uh, Lacey Drives. Mel Melrose Mac hooked it up with some lacy drives, and the thing that I like about them the most, these rugged drives, so they're industry standard. They're they're the ones with the orange casing around them, but they have the cord built into them, and yeah, some that of them snakes do. around. So it's just like it's all in one. You're not like trying to grab where's my USB three cord or whatever. It's just like built in Thunderbolt lacy drives. Really saved me. I mean, I feel like endorsing a lacy portable drive is like endorsing an iPhone. Doesn't everyone just use these drives? Yeah, unless you don't live in Los Angeles where you're surrounded by Lacey drives. Oh, cool. It's possible. Well, then my endorsement is the <laughs> Apple MacBook. <laughs> yeah. um, just kidding. Well, my endorsement <laughs> is that when you are done shooting something that you direct, <laughs> it, this is a strategy <laughs> endorsement, bring one of these Lacey drives that Matt... Uh, so eloquently described with you to set and make sure to get a copy of all the footage and all this, the audio as well for your own records, because uh, undoubtedly when you're not editing your own stuff or don't have access to your own stuff, you might want to make a little change for your reel or you might want to mm -hmm. cut down this 60 second video to a 30 second commercial or whatever. Um, it's just always good to have a copy of all the footage you shoot because your entire career is kind of based on it. I have a bazillion hard drives in my closet that my wife is not super jazzed about, but just in case I ever need that one shot or to show right. someone something, I always have it. And I just worked on a job where I did not bring a hard drive and I asked if I could have the footage and the company just has a policy where they don't release the footage. So right, right. next but time I will have the hard drive with me on set so I can get the footage right at the end of the shoot. Well, let me recommend Lacey Drives because you don't have to carry a cord around with you. Oh, yeah. That's all I, all I bring. I, I make the mistake of buying like Best Buy will have like a sale and I'll need it that day. So I'll be, I have like 16 different types of Seagates in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or those little Western Digitals mm -hmm. that are so cheap and yeah, small. Yeah, yeah these exactly. Lacey's are just reliable. Yeah. Lacey's and G-Drives are, are the standard. You know, the interesting thing I want to add about what I just talked about is that when you're on set and you're the director, you're pretty much the boss. I mean, there's clients and there's agency and there's, you know, if you're a commercial thing. But everyone kind of looks to you. If you say to the makeup artist, hey, can you do this or cut this hair or move mm -hmm. this or the art person or the DIT, can you put the files on this hard drive? Yeah. They will listen to you. But when you are not on set, 
yep. especially after you're done shooting, you're no longer anybody's boss and it's really hard to get people to do things. So yeah, then you're just some jerk asking for a favor. Yeah. yeah. So that's why the best time to get that stuff done is when you're on set, because that's where people kind of look to you as a leader. And, and then that quickly ends. So <laughs> anyway, that's all we got. Another great episode. Um, yeah. So yeah, hit us back with your questions. Uh, we'd love to talk more about moving to LA. We'll maybe do a follow-up ep- episode if we get enough interesting questions on what to do. You can always tweet at us at Just Shoot It Pod or me at Mr. Matt Enlo. Or me at Smitey Pileg. And of course you can email us and we love getting emails. Uh, just shoot it pod at gmail.com. We also really, really, really like getting iTunes reviews and ratings. If you can review us or just shoot it pod on iTunes. Thanks for listening. This episode was edited by Christopher Robert Gray. And our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And our music is provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.